I have a friend who is the founder of an organization, and he's nearing retirement. And uh, I was with him and some of the people in his organization not too long ago, and someone, we'll, we'll call him John. And someone said, you know, John has never been about himself. John has always been about his mission and his vision and his message. He said, but this organization has always been about John. He said, I wonder if before he retires, we could settle the question of whether we're an organization about John or about what John is about. Does that make sense? Well, you know, Lent, it seems to me, is a time for us to try to make sure that we're not just about our founder, but also about what our founder was about. And for that reason, today and tomorrow, I'd like us to consider two parables that Jesus told that, that are kind of portals that help us get to the heart of what our founder was actually about. Luke chapter 16. Now I should tell you, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three parables that were linked together. It's, these are really two of the only instances you'll find this where there's a succession of parables that are linked together in this very masterful way. Three in Luke 15, two in Luke 16. We'll see one now and we'll see one tomorrow. Then Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man. Now right away, he's got our attention and tomorrow he'll begin with exactly the same words. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. Now, when you hear the word manager, many of you will know in the old King James it said a steward. And, and whatever word you use, it's worthwhile to realize the economic system of, uh, of Jesus' day. See, what had happened, I know it's very hard to imagine a world where small farms were bought up by big conglomerates. <laughs> Just try to imagine a time when that happened. It, see, I know it's really hard to imagine a time when uh, central governments taxed people a lot and taxed poor people at a, a tougher rate than rich people. It's so hard to imagine. But what would happen is the Roman, in, the Roman occupiers were taxing small farmers and they would tax them so, at such a high rate that the farmers couldn't pay their taxes. So then rich folks, and, and in, the way it was in, uh, in Israel, uh, Palestine, uh, was that the farmland was to the north in what we call Galilee. It was the breadbasket. Um, and, and the rich folks lived in the city. Now, I know it's hard to imagine a world where there's conflict between rich elites and the cities and poor folk in the countryside. They didn't call it flyover country back then, but that was Galilee. And so 
the, the farmers would be taxed and the rich folks from down south in Judea, the suburbs of Jerusalem, all the rich folks saw a bargain and they would come and they'd say to the farmers, actually, they wouldn't do this. They would hire middlemen to do this, managers, stewards. And the stewards would come to the poor folks who couldn't pay their taxes and they'd say, have I got a deal for you? My, my uh, boss, uh, he will pay your taxes and he'll own your land. But we'll let you continue to farm it and we'll just make sure that as a tenant farmer, you will every year give us a, 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 some portion of the wine or the wheat that you um, produce. Now listen, I know it's hard to imagine a land where certain people got rich over the labor of other people. But try to imagine such a land. And so the complaint of this rich man is that this mid-level manager, this steward, isn't exploiting the people quite enough. If he were exploiting them enough, then the rich guy down south would be getting a bigger return on his investment, right? So he's upset. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. Now, he has pretty much perfectly described the dilemma of the middle class. I don't want to have to sweat and work as hard as those folks a couple rungs on the ladder below me, but everything I do is dependent on the people above me, on the, the person above me. And so if I have the rug pulled out from under me now, I'm in such big trouble. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. Now, I don't know if, if, if any of you have read this in an English Bible where they put headings on, but when in my Bible, um, you know, my physical Bible that I have, uh, it says the parable of the unjust steward. But you know what's interesting? He's not called an unjust steward by the, his boss. Here's the kind of twist in the story that nobody would expect. His master commended this uh, dishonest master uh, manager because he had acted shrewdly. You see what this master basically says is, look, I, I'm all about making money and I'm not too concerned about whether I do it fairly or not. I want to maximize profit. That's all I'm concerned about. I've got to be clever in order to do it. And this manager, at least I can say this for him, he's shrewd, he's clever. And then Jesus adds his comment. For the children of this age 
are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. Now, at this point, you expect Jesus to give a moral to this interesting financial story. And the moral that you would expect is don't be dishonest. And in fact, I imagine a whole lot of sermons have been preached that that's the point that's drawn from the story. But I think the point Jesus is actually making is way, way more interesting and surprising than that. Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of mammon, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes, or the internal tents is actually the word. Now, what's really interesting about Jesus' moral of the story is not, this guy is bad, he was dishonest. I just get the feeling that all the editors of the Bibles were so nervous about this, they had to go out of their way to make the steward look bad. I think something else is going on here. If you know much about Jesus and that economic system that I described, I think Jesus is doing something that is very profound and very relevant to every single one of us. Jesus is saying, listen, we know this economic system is unjust. We know that the people at the top who live down south out near the big city, those people are getting richer and richer and richer. And the people out in the countryside, the small farmers, they're getting poorer and poorer. They're being squeezed more and more to the edge. I just read the other day uh, that um, now 90% of the wealth in our country is owned by 10% of the people. Uh, and I just read that uh, now globally, a, a, a relatively small number of families own something like 40% of the global wealth. Uh, we have an interestingly similar problem of an economic system that is transferring wealth from the poor to the richest of the richest of the rich. And, um, and I think Jesus is telling people how to be ethical people in the middle of an unjust system. Here's what I think he's saying. That manager, when he realized that his way of making a living wasn't going to last forever, that manager made a critical decision. I'm going to see my future not with the richest of the rich, but with the poor. I'm going to cast my lot with the people who I've been part of exploiting. I'm going to switch sides. I'm going to defect from the economy that always hitches your wagon to the person with more than you, and I'm going to use my position of privilege for the people. Uh, I'm going to try to bring some benefit to the people who've been hurt. Now, you might say, that's un-American. That's the problem. That's why we're here. That's why we need Lent, because we need to repent. We need to have a second thought. We need to figure out how to live 
in an unjust and exploitive economy. Because listen, it's not just people who are being exploited. I just read yesterday that our government is pulling away uh, protections. They're allowing pesticides to be used that kill bees. Now, you know, 30% of our calories come from pollination by bees. Did you know that? So when you kill bees, you're killing yourself long term. And you may have read in parts of the world we're experiencing something, an unprecedented die-off of insects. Now, I told my wife this, and she was really happy at first. But then, you know, she thought about it. You, you realize we're, we're amassing wealth as a species, funneling it to a, a small percentage of people, and we're doing it at the expense of the planet and at the expense of the poor. Now, I, I, I'm Protestant, but I, I got to tell you, I love Pope Francis. I, like, I just am ready to sign up on his team. He wrote, a, he wrote a, an encyclical a few years ago. It was called Laudato Si. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to go online. You can read it. I think it's probably the most important document, Christian document, written at least since the Reformation. Um, and Pope Francis basically says in Laudato Si, he says, I'm writing a letter to every person in the world. Now, a lot of his bishops didn't actually like this letter, and they've tried to keep it quiet, but you and I can help people pay attention to it. We'll go around the bishops and side with the Pope on this. But he said in Laudato Si, he said, this letter is a plea to the people of the world. Can we hear the cry of the earth? and the cry of the poor who are being exploited by an economy that is working really well for many of us. But long-term, it's not sustainable. And it's really hurting so many people. And so, at, in, in the middle of this unjust economy, Jesus says, listen, you want to be shrewd? You want to, you, it's time to switch sides and stop just worrying about what's working for the rich and how you can get a piece of their action. But it's time for you to have a change of heart and start caring about the ones who nobody's caring about, the last, the least, the lost, the marginalized. You know, I, I wish I could have been here Friday. I heard you had a powerful, powerful experience together on Friday. As you had a Muslim speaker as part of this Lenten series to lead in a, 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 a time of mourning and reflection and reappraisal after this horrible massacre in New Zealand that echoes the massacres we've seen here in our own country. We, we all have to know that, that there's something wrong with the soul of, of humanity when, when humans are being driven by greed and by hate. So when Jesus shows up, and says, there was a rich man, and he tells you a story. It's a good story to read in Lent, to have our hearts challenged and our values, uh, our, our values maybe surface, so we can say, am I ready to repent, to rethink, to be willing to adjust my values? Jesus goes on and says, who's ever faithful, in a very little, is faithful also in much. 
Whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with mammon, meaning this wealth that can so easily corrupt you, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you've not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or, the, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Wealth. Wealth that is so dangerous that it can corrupt your values. You know, I'm pretty sure that if the truth be told, many of us in this room, and I, I, don't, I don't fault you for this because I'm, I'm in the same boat. We have been so formed by a different set of values in our country that when I say you cannot serve God and money, we're thinking, well, yes, you can. Um, and, and we're immediately thinking of all kinds of deals we can make. Oh, God, I'll give some money to the you know, poor. We, we have all kinds of deals we want to make. But do you understand? I mean, if you want to disagree with Jesus, it's okay. A lot of people do. You might as well at least be overt about it. Like my friend who was a Baptist pastor and he was preaching at his church uh, not long after September 11th and they were going through the Sermon on the Mount and he came to the part about love your enemies. One of his elders came, or deacons came up to him afterwards and said, Pastor, I think it is unpatriotic to preach that sermon when our nation is at war. My friend said to him, it's in the Gospels. It's Jesus' teaching. And his deacon said, I always thought that was the weakest point of Jesus' teaching. <laughs> so at least he was honest. But listen, if we, if we have any respect for Jesus at all, we better give him a hearing. On this subject, you cannot serve both God and money. You will love one and hate the other or despise one and love the other. Now, that's, those are strong words, and I don't think Jesus was messing up. I don't think he misspoke. I don't think if, the, if he was on CNN later and somebody tried to get him in a gotcha moment, are you a socialist? You know, you can imagine all the things they say to him. I don't think Jesus would say, oh, I'm really sorry I misspoke. I think Jesus would look in the camera and he would say, I meant exactly what I said. If you love God, you won't be able to love money anymore because you'll see all the mischief that it does in the world. You'll see all the harm that it does in the world. You'll see how money distorts people's understanding of what really has value. And you'll understand that human beings and that this beautiful creation are being destroyed by people who are possessed by the love of money. If you love God, all the values will fit in a different place. Now listen, we all deal with money. Money is part of all of our lives. It's just that you can't love it. You have to just use it for what you love. Because if you love money, you'll use other things for what you love, like the earth, like your family, like your employees, like other human beings 
like people of other religions. Everything will take a second place to what you love. No one can serve two masters. Now, then there's this little P.S. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed him. And this is one of the few places in the Gospels where we get this little window that Jesus' primary religious opponents, what really, really motivated them was a love of money. Now, brothers and sisters, I know it's hard to imagine a world where religious leaders are just as much in the pocket of rich people as political leaders. But they, they're upset with Jesus. So he said to them, you are those who try to justify yourselves in the sight of others, but God knows your hearts. For what is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. What God values is different than what human beings who are, who are formed and shaped by this, this unjust economy, what God's values are different. And we've got to make a decision. Do we align our values with God's values or do we just put on a religious game and we plaster a little Jesus bumper sticker on the guzzling hummer of Western civilization. What is prized by human beings, all of the, all of the toys and trinkets of success and status and prestige, all of the magic that money gives, God finds it disgusting when it makes us devalue what actually has value. And God is inviting us to see things in a different way. You know, my, my personal belief is that every congregation, if we really decided to live up to our calling, to be people who are about what our founder was about, we would understand the urgency of every time we get together. It would make sense that people would show up on lunch every day for, 40, for a period of 40 days. It would make sense because we would know that this morning a bunch of people woke up and started spending billions of dollars to make you care about money more than anything else. You need a new pair of shoes. You weigh a little too much. You need to buy this new diet program. You know your hair just isn't what it used to be. You need new clothes, you need a new car, you still live in that house, and there are people who are spending billions of dollars every day, every time you open your phone, every time you look at a magazine, every time you watch television, they're finding ways to make you more obsessed with money. And we realize there aren't many places like this where we come together and we say, that system exploits the earth and it exploits human beings, and we're going to change our values and see things a different way. Lent is an opportunity for us to interrogate the values of our culture 
and to interrogate our own values and to be open to the possibility that we're not actually about what our founder was about and to decide that rather than change him, it might be a good idea to change us. What would it mean for the rest of your life? I mean, today could be a turning point. What would it mean if you were to say, instead of figuring out how I can hitch my wagon to the people a couple rungs above me so I can get a piece of their action, what would happen if I were to say, I've been given a lot and I want to use what I have for the benefit of my, pe- of my neighbors who have less than me? What would happen if our solidarity was with the cries of the poor and the cries of the earth? If that were to happen, the law and the prophets and the gospel would come together to help us live by a set of values that resonates with the heart of God. Would you close your eyes with me? And in each of our own hearts, would you be aware, just feel the pressure to love money more than anything and acknowledge it? To be afraid about it, to be controlled by it, to be desperate for it, to feel inferior unless you have as much of it as somebody else does. Let's just acknowledge that we feel that. And this Lent, could we dare to open our hearts to the spirit of Jesus Christ to say, there are things that have value that can never be measured in money. Let it be. Let our hearts be about what our founder was about. Amen? Amen.